This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals. The information presented is for general educational purposes only and should not be used as professional medical advice or for the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions. The views and opinions expressed do not represent the views and opinions of our employer or any affiliated institution. Expressed opinions are based on scientific facts under certain conditions and subject to certain assumptions and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions or in any legal proceeding. Full terms and conditions can be found at portablebeads.com. And now onto the episode. Howdy, and welcome to Portable Pete's, the Pediatric Board Review Podcast. I'm Ryan, and with me as always is Sam. Hey, guys. Today we've got our last episode on statistics for the month, and we're covering biases in research. So bias refers to any tendency that prevents unprejudiced consideration of a question, and in research this occurs when systematic error is introduced into sampling or testing by selecting or encouraging one outcome or answer over others. So this can happen before, during, and or after a research trial. So we'll talk about them in that order. So first, pre-study biases. These can happen before a study and typically involve errors in study design or recruitment. And the ones that we'll specifically talk about today are selection and channeling. There are a bunch more biases that we can talk about besides the ones that are in this episode. We tried to pick the ones that are most likely to come up on boards, but we tried to avoid going into a rabbit hole of a bunch of extra biases. So selection bias. This occurs when a criteria used to select patients and enroll them is inherently different. And this can lead to a skewing of data that's not really representative of your population. So case control and retrospective cohort studies can be prone to this bias, whereas prospective studies, especially randomized control trials, are less likely to exhibit this bias. Now, channeling bias occurs when patient prognostic factors or the severity of illness determines where in the cohort the patients are assigned. So for example, if you were making a study on patients with a progressive disease like Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, for example, if you assign the patients that are aged 20 years and up in one group and the patients aged less than five years in another group, this would inherently likely exhibit channeling bias. The older patients for a progressive disease are likely to have a worse prognosis and or severity than the younger patients on average. So this would likely exhibit channeling bias. Now let's shift gears and talk about biases during studies. Sam? Yeah, absolutely. So the first is interviewer bias, which is due to a difference in the way information is solicited, recorded, or interpreted, possibly because of knowledge of a disease status. For example, if an interviewer knows that a patient has HIV, they might be more likely to ask questions about sexual history, drug use, or other risk factors. This form of bias can be limited or non-existent by blinding interviewers or in a prospective trial where the disease state has not happened yet. Next would be chronologic bias which is when historic controls are used as comparison groups for patients undergoing intervention. For example, if I wanted to study the effect today of a new drug on decreasing length of stay for teenage patients hospitalized with cystic fibrosis and then compare this to teenage patients in the 1980s, that wouldn't be the best. Trikafta wasn't around at that time, and the length of hospitalization today is likely influenced by a medicine not under study in this fictional trial. Chronology bias can be reduced by limiting historic controls to a very recent past. Measurement bias is when the research instrument being used is not reliable or valid. It is always good practice to try to use a validated tool or the field standard as your data collection agent. Then there's recall bias, which is when the outcomes of treatment, either good or bad, influence how someone remembers events before or during the treatment process. 
For example, there is an incorrect association between autism and the MMR vaccine. Patients tend to start exhibiting symptoms of autism, like poor eye contact, language delay, etc., around that time that they would receive their toddler vaccines. Parents may remember that they happened to get this vaccine around that time, so causality may be perceived if a study were to be looking at this. Finally, we have biases that occur after the completion of a trial, and we just have two major ones to discuss. Ryan, do you want to walk us through those and bring us home? Let's do it. So first we have citation bias. So this is when researchers and or publishers are hesitant or unwilling to publish unfavorable results, as they may think that it may reflect poorly on their abilities or on the efficacy of their product. Therefore, positive results are more likely to be submitted for publication than negative results. And last is confounding bias. This is probably the one you're most familiar with, as it's incredibly important, especially when looking at health outcomes. So this is the misrepresentation of an association between the exposure and outcome due to extraneous or confounding factors, either over or underestimating the association and creating misleading results. So I was talking with Sammy about this before we started recording, and she mentioned an example where increasing ice cream sales could be falsely associated with increasing crime rates. However, summertime is likely your confounding variable in this situation. So in the summertime, crime rates tend to increase and ice cream sales tend to increase, not necessarily that criminals are buying ice cream. So this would be your confounding bias in that situation. Now that ends it for biases. There are many more biases than the ones we've discussed here, but we thought this was a good start. We'd love to have this podcast reach as many current and future pediatricians as possible, so be sure to share this with a friend. Next month, we'll be discussing high-yield endocrinology topics, so stay tuned. And that'll do it for this month. Happy study, guys. Bye. I'm Sam, and with me as always is Ryan. Hi. <laughs> Hi. 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 I'm Ryan. <laughs> hey guys. Um, Welcome back to Portable Pete's, the Pediatric Board of You podcast. I'm Sam, and with me always is Sam. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. rode my bike through like a movie show and the guy a movie show like it was like on the river and it was like a pop-up screen i was like people call those a movie theater sam i'm gonna throw my bike through a movie show yeah see one of the one of them moving pictures why are you talking um and this guy was sitting in his chair and he was like i think the security guard but like was doing a very poor job of such and he was like literally with his finger was like Turn around, lady. And I was like, oh, sorry, can I just turn around up hysterical. here? And he was like, uh-uh. Rip, rip, back that way. And I was like, did you just fuck chair? That's great. That's great. All right. Okay, ready. Sorry. Oh, shoot, we're so recording. Okay, yep. I'm ready. We're so close. Deuces to the stats. Deuces to the stats. Stat facts. Stat facts. <laughs>